Hey, hey creepy, creepy crawlers. crawlers, I'm Katie. I'm Jerry. And this is Case of, of the, the Creeps. Hello, creepy peeps, and welcome back to another episode of Case of the Creeps. I'm Katie. I'm Jerry. And we are so happy to be back. It's been a long time coming, it feels like, at this point. Like, not being able to sit down and be on that schedule after being on it for so long. I'm glad. Yes, I'm so but happy. we've been on a schedule behind scenes we because have. we have been doing lots of research. We have, man. It's It's... We've watched a lot of documentaries on this yeah. one, like a lot. So um, we are super excited to be back and welcome to the new and improved Case of the Creeps. Again, we want to do a huge shout out to Mama Jerry for coming and co-hosting with me because I love you. <laughs> so with me saying as well that the new and improved Case of the Creeps, if you guys haven't listened to the previous episode before this one, um, we kind of did a couple of announcements. One of them was, unfortunately, Papa Bear has taken a leave of absence. He is no longer going to be on the show, maybe here and there, but he's not the, the side, the, the co-host anymore. So, um, Mama Jerry has been so gracious as to jump back on with me and do this with me. So I'm not doing it by myself. And hey, here we are. Yeah, we're you doing know, it. We're doing Nate's it. Nate's doing his thing. He is. And I'm very and proud of him. I, me too. Yeah. Love him. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's and always good to take a step back and rearrange priorities and stuff. So huge shout yes. out to him for doing that. But we also did a lot of talking behind the scenes for you guys to make sure that, you know, with us coming back on two cases of the creeps, you guys are still going to get a good chunk of content from us so we have actually decided that we are going to be doing bi-weekly episodes instead of weekly episodes they are dropping on fridays now and, i like that yeah and we are also doing very detailed two-part sometimes episodes on heavy hitters so some of them are going to be the not so well known and then we're going to of course cover the ones that are very well known as well but we have content change, schedule change, a lot of changes. So just want to make sure you guys are aware of that. We'll remind you probably in the next episode too. And then after that, y'all are on your own. I gave yeah. you three chances. Yeah. <laughs> um, One, two, three, strong. Yep. <laughs> and then on top of that exciting news, we have a lot of exciting things that are <clears throat> happening right now um, that are not podcast related. What? Like Mom and Jerry got to move into her new house, which has been, it like has been a year, two years. It has been at least a year and eight months. Oh, I'm so happy. I, it looks I so feel good. Like it's been it's so good. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. You have AC yeah, again. I do. <laughs> so you walk in and it has. It was freezing in your house when I walked in there, and I like uh, it cold. I was like, "This whoa. is a fucking icebox in here." It has that new house smell. Get the fuck out of here. You're not wrong, though. I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. It does. It smells fresh. Like nobody's lived in there before. You're the first ones. We are. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. This is so cool. Oh, so real quick, I'm just going to ask. Remember I asked a while back about when we tore it down that I was going to take pictures and give them to you? And then you're going to do a TikTok? Yeah. You know? Welcome to the good part, or let's skip to the good part. Yeah. All from tearing down uh-huh. to now. Are you asking me to do that? Yes. Okay. 
I yes, have, I remember. And yes, I, I will still do now. that for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just at the end of it, I need a picture of both you and Todd in front, or Pop Pop in front of the house. Thanksgiving? What? Yeah, now you get to have, oh. we get to have Thanksgiving at your place now? I'm so excited. Man, so much food is going to be on that brand new oh. island. Oh my God, that thing is huge. And then on top of you moving the? into the into the new house. But so, and then you started a new journey with not just me, but with Jenaboo too. Yes, which Partners is, and Gleam. Oh my, I love your name. It's so cute. So, and that's awesome. And then I am now running. Because behind the scenes, we are partners in crime. Yeah. And now you, now you clean partners. No, now we clean partners. You clean partners. And then um, I am now officially running two podcasts. And another one's in the works. What? Because I have like no sense of time anymore. So like, fuck it. I'll just fill up every waking moment I have. With some sort of project. Because one of them is going to make me money eventually. It's just a question of which one. Hey, if I have all these possibilities out there, on top of writing a book. I'm just saying, (laughs) sometimes a door has to be shut in order for a better one to open. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. That's my theory. Mm -hmm. I'm going with it tomorrow morning. Um, and then also we had some news, uh, a couple weeks back in regards to me, um, moving out of state and that is also no longer happening. Whoop, whoop. We are staying put where oh. we are. Uh, oh, <laughs> did you, you did. Let's be did real I for a second. say that out loud? Let's be real for a second. You don't care if me and your son move, but your grandbaby. You're oh, like, yes. No. <laughs> y'all can go. Y'all can go. Let me keep the kid. I already said that. When you said you were leaving, I was like, okay, Silas is staying with me and Pop Pop. And you were yep. like, no, he's not. I no. was like, well, you can't take him. <laughs> So no. we have yes, a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of good things that are happening right now. Um, and th- that goes again, hand in hand with us doing the new episodes and the intensity of them and how we're going to be doing that much more for you guys, the listeners as well. Uh, one more big change when it comes to our podcast is something that has been kind of a signature in our podcast throughout every episode. And that was popping this case. We are no longer doing that. We're just going to be rolling into our cases now. So just mm-hmm. whatever, whoever listens is like, where's where's the crack in the chug? That's yeah. no longer happening. So that's... I'm not belching like Nate. God. I'm not like... I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> listening to that man belch in my ear every week <laughs> is not fun. I mean, it's not like you still don't hear it when he's around. This is true. You know? <laughs> it's not just for the mic. <laughs> yes, it's not just for the mic. That's always how he is. Yes, yes. yes that's him. <laughs> so usually Love also him. we have a Mickey's Creepy Corner that mm. we do um, before we start our episodes. That is still sticking around for those of you guys who do enjoy that. Unfortunately, I just don't have one for this uh, episode, but we should have one for the following one. So... Um, just a heads up there, but with all that, I think that's the business. The business. The business is done, which yes. means that it is time for us to roll into our first case of the new and improved case of the creep. We are starting to do heavier hitters and much more detail into the episodes to make sure our listeners are getting the best content possible. So we are going to be kicking off our revamp with one of those, one of the most prolific serial killers in modern history. 
However, he's not all too well known due to him being active across the pond. Um, but he is mm. actually responsible for around 250 victims. But the real number is still being investigated to this day. He targeted vulnerable elderly uh, women who trusted him as their doctor. He killed his victims either by a fatal dose of drugs or prescribing them in an abnormal amount. Uh, he is the only British doctor to date to have been convicted of murdering patients, although other doctors have been acquitted of similar, similar crimes or convicted of lesser charges. But this man's name was Harold Shipman, also known as Dr. Death. <sighs> he was, um... Watching those documentaries on him was eye-opening. And the whole thing about they're still investigating is because they don't know because so... It, he was So a, many. For years. Mm-hmm. I mean, since the day that he... I think he was 19 when he started his internship. I have the date in here, so... Yes. We'll get to it, but like... All the way up until 1993, There's when I was born, were, was he still doing this? Him killing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't always for, it was just, just to kill. To kill. Just to kill. He was getting yeah. his rocks off on it. Yeah. So, with that, we're going to dive right on in. His name was Harold Frederick Shipman. He was born on January 14th of 1946. Which is the day before my birthday and Jenna uh. Boo's wedding anniversary. <laughs> he was born on the Bestwood Estate, which is in Nottingham, England. He was known by his family and peers as Fred and was the second of three children, which could maybe hint to a possibility of middle child syndrome. Uh, once you guys hear what this man, how his childhood was, maybe you will agree. I don't think it was more middle child syndrome than... His mother being a fucking wackadoodle yeah. and secluding him as the prodigy child of the family. Yeah, and we're going to get into it, too. Yeah. Um, his parents his- were Her- Harold Frederick Sr. and Vera or Vera Shipman. They were middle-class parents, with his father working as a taxi driver and his mother being a stay-at-home mom. It is said that little Harold was the favorite of the children to his domineering mother, who instilled at a very young age with him a sense of superiority that was speculated to taint his relationships amongst his peers later on in his adolescence, considering the substantial amount of distance he put between himself and others. Uh, One neighbor actually had said, quote, Vera was very friendly, but she really did see her family as superior to the rest. Not only that, but you could also tell that Harold, Freddie, which is the uh, Miss R. Shipman, um, was her favorite. The one she saw as the most promising to her three children. So Vera put like a lot of pressure onto Harold that he but needed she to succeed. also thought like she, her whole family was superior. Yeah, like, like she really were the was, best. Yeah, she were the best. So he was screwed because his mom was whacked. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Vera decided who Harold could play with and when. She wanted to distinguish him from the other boys. He was the one who always wore a tie when the others were allowed more casual dress. His sister Pauline was seven years older and his brother Clive was four years younger. So there's a little bit of an age gap in there too. But in his mother's eyes, Harold was the only one she held the most hope for. Now, even though he had these restrictions, he was still very well known amongst his peers. 
Uh, he seemed friendly enough, cool, calm, collected, and was very well known for his outstanding sportsmanship on the rugby and track team for his school and was even named the vice captain of his rugby team, which we saw in the documentaries. Yeah. And like they had clips of him and he was really freaking good. Like he had a promising future. He was a likable dude. He was. He was very likable. Now, everything up to this point in Harold's young life seemed to be as normal as possible. His dad was constantly working to keep them afloat. His mom was always there, though. Good grades, good at sports. Like, he had it. He really had it going for him. And then until the year of 1963, when Harold was just 17, his mother was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. Now, and we're talking about, like, in the 60s, so, like... Not a lot of research has been done about lung cancer and stuff. No. And this Mm-mm. was a huge turning point for Harold as his focus went from school and sports to slowly watching his mother wither before his eyes, which is like... that I can't imagine. No. 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 Like, the only time Mm-mm. you get to have towards yourself is school and you can't even have that towards yourself because you're focused on your schoolwork so much. And then to have to go home and take care of your dying mom... Or go to the hospital, because that's where she was at this point, um, and just stare at her in the bed as she's literally, like, trying to survive. And then go home, go to bed, wake up, do it all over again. No. At 17? No. No. Um, He he willingly, but here's the thing, though, because... that, That right there is a turning point of him being, like, that cool dude... The sports guy, the, like, likable guy to... Shut down. He, yeah. Like, 100%. Click. Yep. Flip yeah, the light switch. the switch, and then he was done. Mm-hmm. So, and then... And it all changed. But here's the thing, too. Vera had already sunk her claws in so deep to her son that... Oh, well, in... Yes, because he was groomed... To be the best. He was. He out of was. all three of the children, he 100. was hundred. Yes, 100%. Um, and then she had already done that damage so much that by the time that this has happened, he was able to flip that switch so and quick. If he, if she was grooming him, like, as the better child, mm-hmm. like, for him to see her, because he always got that attention, so when she got sick, it was... Like, not obligated, but it was, like, he he had that sense of, like, oh, she, I was always the best. I have to take care of her. Oh, so in other words, he pulled an Uno reverse card mm-hmm. and then became the the nurturer. Yes, because he, she, he was so nurtured out of all yeah. three of the kids. And then when she got sick, do you hear about the other kids? No, like, not at all. Like, being by her side? No. No, him. only him. Yes. Mm. Uh, <laughs> solving cases over here um now because of this grooming and this environment that harold was raised in he was willing to oversee her care as she declined care from like the doctors and stuff only wanted her son to take care of him he was also fascinated by the positive effect that the administration of morphine had on her body so while she's like no i don't want anybody else to take care of me he's that he's saying to the doctor, no, take care of her because I want to watch you. I want to watch you and what you're doing. Yes. Because I am very intrigued as to what what you're doing is happening and doing to my mom. It almost like he had his own little reverse happening in his brain with Vera in the form of 
her thinking that he wanted to be there um, so that she had somebody that she trusted almost to take care of her. Meanwhile, he's like, I don't fucking care about you. What are you doing, Doc? Yeah. I really want to know what you're doing because that's it, interesting. And it was, and that's the thing. He thought that was interesting. He wasn't doing it to say, I want to know exactly what you're doing so I know exactly what's going into my mom. Mm -hmm. Because like when Todd's grandmother was passing away and she was in a hospital, his stepmom like was there and she took notes. Like I'm talking crazy notes. Really? (laughs) Yes. Every time the doctor came in, every time the nurse came in, she asked questions. What are you doing? How much is she getting? Like, everything, everything. When they come in to do her blood pressure, she writes it down. Like, she, all of it. Oh, shit. And it was because she wanted to know what was going on. Yeah, Harold wasn't doing that. Harold didn't do it. He was was wanting to know what the doctor was doing because he was was curiosity. Mm, You know what happened to curiosity and the cat? (laughs) Now, eventually... Harold's mom was moved from the hospital to their home, and the doctor made home visits to make her as comfortable as possible, all while Harold watched every single move, again, now in the home environment of what the doctor was doing. Every day after classes, he would hurry home, make his mom a cup of tea, and chat with her, probably about his day at school, Um, and she would sit there and count the minutes as she waited and found great solace in his company. So, and that also just goes to show, like, she wants him to be there for her. He wants to be there for the doctor so that he... He wants to be there for him. And how he can... I think. I think. That's just my theory. Yes. That's just my theory. I have a different theory on it. But okay. We'll get to theories <laughs> later on yeah, this conversation. On this conversation. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, now, this is likely where Shipman learned the uh, endearing bedside manner that he would adopt later in his practice as a family physician. Now, toward the end, Vera started to experience severe pain, but because pumps to self-administer painkillers did not exist at the time, Vera's soul... Can't re- just hit a button and forget. No, you don't have a red button no more. <laughs> meet, meet, meet. Nope, it was a person. A person had to come to your house, make that house visit, or you and had to administer. have... administer. Yeah, or you would have to have a family member do it for you. Yes. Vera's soul relief from the agony of cancer came with the family physician home visits so no doubt this is where young harold watched in fascination as his mother's distress miraculously would subside whenever the family doctor injected her with morphine so you probably know shit huh interesting but and it's not like it was subsiding it was putting her in she was nodded out yeah like, they were administering enough morphine to, like, she was, to not have to feel the pain she was in. Yeah, but it was only. He was looking at it in a different way. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Like, He's looking at it for him, not helping her. So, it wouldn't take long, though, because she was diagnosed in 1963, and it was June 21st of 1963 that Harold's mom succumbed to cancer and passed away in their home. Now, this destroyed Harold on the outside. However, he had a very odd coping mechanism with her loss. Uh, There was actually a friend who, from school, later said in an interview on this reaction, and he said, quote, I met Harold at the street corner for us to walk to school, and we usually talked about our weekend activities. This day was no different until Harold very nonchalantly 
turned to me and just said, oh, my mom died. Usually when someone's family member passes, especially a mom, there's visible grief and heartache. But with Harold, he was just stone faced. I told him I was so sorry and asked how he was doing with the loss. And all he said was, I'm okay. I went for a run till 2 a.m. in the pouring rain and then walked away. So people deal with loss in different ways and they have their own coping mechanisms. Yeah. His was kind of like Forrest when he lost Jenny. Run, Forrest, run. Oh, my God. (laughs) But you're not wrong either because he compartmentalized it. And he took Uh it into a way that Mm -hmm. he could control it. It was still a loss. Still a loss. Forrest lost Jenny. He lost his mom. And then he lost Jenny. Well, Harold lost his mom Mm -hmm. and he ran. And then he come back and he was all better. Yeah. Just like Forrest. He just... He got up and ran. People cope they with cope shit in a fucking weird way. Well, and it's just that's... Everyone's Not brain Not saying is, he's Forrest. No, but, but everyone's brain... <laughs> everyone's brain copes with things differently. So, I mean, it very mm-hmm. well could have just been a coping mechanism or he's just fucking off his rocker, which, yeah, he is. But, or this just flipped him off his rocker. Well, and see, here's my theory as to what actually happened with his mom. Because I personally think that Harold was so fascinated with morphine and the effects that it had on his mom. And he loved the idea of how this drug could control his mom in such a way to, even if it was just lifting all of her pain, um, I think that he wanted to control make ma- take matters into his own hands and have a sense of that control that he saw the doctors had and he killed his mom personally i think to it put was put her out of being in pain or just because he fucking wanted to i think it was solely for him to have a sense of that control mm. i think it was i know i i cuz you know a kid kids it doesn't matter how old they are kids remember how you treat them and i think there could have been a bit of resentment of her control over him so it could have been you controlled me for so long i'm gonna take that control back and your life is in the balance sorry about it or it could very well have been again with the whole i see the doctor have so much control over you with this drug i want to have that type of control i maybe i should you know what really This is, I mean, not just him, but just all the fucked up people in the world. I wish there was a way, like, I could, if I had a superpower, that's what it is. If I had a superpower, I would want to know why, how their brains think like they think. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. How did you come to, this is... Your what you want to do. Yeah, how, how did you come to how this fucking you, conclusion? Yeah, how's your brain fucking process this is okay? I, I, I don't know because what was that's, that's like, I don't know, for me to try to put myself in their shoes to process their uh, train of thought to get to the point of this is their life. Mm-hmm is mind-blowing. Like, how? How did you... How'd you get mind here? Mind-blowing. Yeah. 
I don't know what my superpower would be. I kind of think I would want to harness time like Doctor Strange. I'd want to. I always want to know what babies are thinking. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. That could get intense real quick. Yeah, that'd be... You know what they're all thinking? Give me them boobies. <laughs> Give me the boobies. I want the boobies. That's all they think. Mm-hmm. Give me that nipple. I want that nipple. That's what babies think. That way if it's... Not if you don't breastfeed them. Well, bottles have nipples. (laughs) (laughs) Why'd my mind automatically go to (laughs) You got boobs on the brain. (laughs) I put my phone down like, okay, hold on. We're done. (laughs) So Katie's theory is... That he killed his mom. That he is the one that killed his mom. I just don't think he... I, I just don't think that, like, he had, just from what I saw and what I was reading <clears throat> when his mom died, the timeline of her dying and him being alone, and I just don't know if the drugs were there for him. When his mom passed away, I don't think there was actually hard evidence saying that he was the one that was alone with her, and there was morphine there at the house with her and nobody else was around because that would be the only way for him to have administered enough for her to die at that time true like who was in the room when she died that's what i need to know because i don't know yeah we don't know I, that i everything i saw it didn't say who was in the room no i, I didn't just see said anything. that his mom died at the house okay that's a good point that's a good Cha-ching. point Cha-ching. I got one. I got one. <laughs> well, either way, this would be the turning point for that switch flip in Kit it Harold. Definitely the turning point. Uh, well, oh yeah, and you know, this is where we start to see the real legit change in this man as we go on, and it started two years after his mother died. Harold Shipman was finally admitted to Leeds University Medical School, getting in. Had been a dis- getting in had been a struggle despite his self-proclaimed superiority. He had to rewrite the exams he'd flunked the first time around, um, so that kind of hindered him a bit. But nevertheless, his grades were adequate for him to collect a degree and serve his mandatory hospital internship. When his fellow peers and teachers were asked about him, words <laughs> 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 are hard. <laughs> <clears throat> when his fellow peers and teachers were asked about him, it was very surprising to find out that he was not well remembered amongst his college years. One fellow student even said that he looked down on them and seemed bemused by the way most young men behaved. It was as if he tolerated us, she said. If someone told a joke, he would smile patiently, but Fred never wanted to join in. It seems funny because I later heard he'd gone he'd been a good athlete, so you would have thought he'd been more of a team player. It was that, you know, the athletes, mm-hmm. you, that click. Yeah. They're but friendly. He was, yeah, but he was the opposite of, ooh, the athlete guy. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah, absolutely. He was, but when he was on the field, he was that guy. Because mm-hmm, he, he had a goal. In, yeah, so when he was out on the field, he, he was a star player. Mm-hmm. But off the field, he didn't play that role of... Macho athlete. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. So with that, most of his peers, especially from his earlier years, simply remember him as a loner. 
They also remembered the one place where he his personality changed, which was the football field. Here, his aggression was unleashed, and his dedication to win was intense. So, very much so, team player on the field, but not so much anywhere else in life, period. And I'm going to just say football, not American football. Oh, yeah, it was soccer. Rugby. It was a soccer field, yeah. Rugby. Rugby, rugby field, yeah. Uh, so, even so, he was more sociable in medical school than his mother had allowed him to be uh, while living at home. His... I'm sorry, a former teacher said, I don't think he ever had a girlfriend. In fact, he took his older sister to school dances. Uh, They made a strange couple, but then he was a bit strange, a bit of a pretentious lad, she said. Hmm. Pretentious. Pretentious. (laughs) It wouldn't be long, though, um, until Harold found his wife, though, when he was 19 and three years into medical school. Her name was Primrose Max Oxtaby. Do you know how many times I practiced that name? Do you know how many times I practiced that? Too many. Too many times. I'm so sorry, sis, that you got named that. That is that is a mouthful. That is really... That's a mouthful. That's an, that's an old name. Oh, Primrose? You know, what I, 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 you know what I think when I hear Primrose? I was... Hunger Games. Oh. That's what I think. Oh. Yeah. And... She she didn't uh she didn't make it. No. But they she were offending. <laughs> she freaking did. Uh they were instantly in love and they bonded over having similar upbringings. Primrose up for her. Yeah. She got brought up anything like he did. Yeah. Well, her mom restricted her friendships and controlled her activities. Primrose was delighted to have finally found a boyfriend. Uh Shipman married her when she was 17 and and she was already five months pregnant with their firstborn when they got married. So they got to business quick. Quick. It was like first date, boom, pregnant. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I was seventeen. <laughs> uh, the couple ended up having four children. Shipman studied medicine at Leeds School of Medicine, <gasps> University of Leeds, graduating in 1970. Sorry, can I just cut in for a second? Because I just realized, 17 and 5 months pregnant, when I got married, I was 17 and 8 and a half months pregnant. <laughs> the fuck? Shotgun wedding, bitch. Golly. <laughs> uh, Sorry. <clears throat> no, you're good. The couple had four children. Shipman studied medicine at Leeds School of Medicine in University of Leeds, and he ended up actually graduating in 1970. By 1974, he was a father of two and had joined a medical practice in Todmorden, Yorkshire, where he initially thrived as a family practitioner. In this North England setting, Harold seemed to undergo somewhat of a metamorphosis, if you will. He Mm. became a very outgoing, respected member of the community in the eyes of fellow medics and patients. So, like, across the board. He shined. Yeah, he thrived. He did. So, but the staff, on the other hand, in the medical offices where he worked, saw a different side of him. He was often unnecessarily rude and made some of them feel stupid. A word he frequently used to describe anyone he didn't like. So, like, serious. You stupid. Yeah. Like, that's what he was saying to others. You know what I just thought of? So, with his patients, 
they adored him. Yeah, because he had a mask. His staff, because he sh- he doted over them. Yeah, he had that bedside and then, manner. Yes, the bedside manner. Mm-hmm. So with his staff, he belittled. And that was that, like... You know what it was? I think it was that superiority complex that he had shining through very much so with that of like look at all my patients and how much they love me because i'm so good but you You suck suck. you're stupid you're stupid ew ew he really and it was the staff it okay hold on it was the other doctors and there was other people involved that saw a different side of him Mm mm-hmm but the community all stood behind him to the fact to where it was all brushed under the rug. Yeah, 100%. And that's why he was able to get away with it for so long mm-hmm. because he fucking bamboozled and everyone. Everybody. Yep. He used his charm and his bedside manner and his patience loving and adoring him to fucking killed them he had practice he had practice with this exact situation with his mom and he was able to be like oh i remember how this was and he was arrogant very very arrogant as we'll get into i wonder if it was a bit of split personality disorder as well maybe because he was so good at putting that mask on and then taking it off as soon as he left the office yes so I uh, wonder yeah. if it's a little bit of that too, because that was something that wasn't really diagnosed until what was it called? The surgery. The surgery. That was his office. That's what oh, it was that's called. right. It, it was. was called the surgery. We aren't there so, yet, but yeah. yeah. When you said he, when he walk out of his office, I was like, ooh, what was the office actually called? It was the called surgery. the surgery. So weird. Ick. So anyway, <laughs> it gives. It's the just. Ick. I mean, I like to try to. And that's what's going to be, I think, a little bit different. I mean, not to get into shit, but that's what's going to be a little bit different with, like, our new episodes now is we're going to give more about, like, our thoughts and feedback our on theories. things. Yeah. Yes. Which I'm excited versus, for. Versus just strictly what... The facts. ...is out there. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know... What are y'all's theories? Yeah, absolutely. What are your theories? Yes. Like, what do you think? We want to hear Dig into it. But... So he would use this word stupid, which, you know, a little more of a sidetrack here. I fucking hate that word. I fucking despise that word. Like, I get it if we're joking around and stuff. That's one thing. But for you to truly insult my intelligence, like, bro, I've worked hard. Don't you dare sit there and rub your foot into my fucking hard work. I used to tell the kids when they were little, stupid and hate were a bad word. My mom told me hate was a bad word, too. Yes. Yeah. She was stupid like, don't ever hate. say hate. Don't ever stupid say hate. Stupid and hate are bad words. You ain't allowed to say it because mm-hmm. you don't know what stupid is and you don't know what hate is. You know what stupid is? Stupid does. You <laughs> 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 fell right into that. <laughs> uh, but anyways. So Life would- is like a box of chocolate. <laughs> Is he stupid or something? (laughs) (laughs) What is this? The Gump Trials right now? (laughs) I want to go to Savannah. (laughs) But anyway, so what? Hell yeah, we're going to Savannah. Are you talking about what? Anyways, 
Um, Sorry. No, you're good. So he would constantly use this awful word, stupid, um, to describe his his staff members, which that's a punch in the teeth right there. Um, He also had a way of getting things done his way. Even with the more experienced doctors in the practice, uh, not yet 30, Shipman had already become very much of a control freak, which goes back again to my theory from in the beginning of him wanting that control. But his senior partner saw him as a godsend. One of them was Dr. Michael Grieve. He appreciated Harold's contribution in providing up-to-date information as he was so recently out of medical school. He was the new blood with new ideas and concepts to instill into the medical practice world. And see, that's where the charm comes in that he's fucking blowing smoke up your ass, but he actually is blowing smoke that's good. Like, it's real information. Like, he's being a good, like, doctor. He could have... Like, seriously, people like this is what blows my mind is because they could actually have done so much great for the world. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, that's why when we were watching the documentaries, I was like, this is why it's called a medical practice, because it's always a practice. Nobody has the right information, the right answers. He could have succeeded so much in this practice to where he was doing so much good because he was so smart when it came to this stuff. And he was loved by the community. But instead, he, he took control shit. of that and used it to his advantage. Advantage, yes. Oh. Disgusting people. But with that, he quit. the world's fucked up come to. I hate this world. I hate it here. Um, Let's he- go to Pluto. <laughs> Pluto's not even a real planet no more. Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting off, man. (laughs) You went way off. I'm just saying. It's not a real planet anymore. (sighs) Anyways, he quickly moved up the ranks and became a general practitioner at a medical center in West Yorkshire. And it wouldn't be long after moving up in ranks, however, that his life would start to go down a very slippery slope and turn to the darker side of the medical practice for him and lack of better terms now at this point guys we're going to do a little bit of a timeline jump we're moving a little forward and then when we close the episode we're back chat back we are backtracking um a smidge as well so right now we're gonna jump forward and then we're gonna kind of jog back yeah so uh his career at in toadmerden Uh, came to a sudden halt when he began having blackouts. His partners were devastated when when he gave them the reason. He said that he suffered with epilepsy, and he used this inaccurate diagnosis as a cover up. So not only was this man very familiar in medical terms and stuff, and he was diagnosing these, he was able to say, oh, well, I have this. I know I have this because you're stupid. I'm smart. I can diagnose myself, and this is what I have. And everyone would go, well, fuck you. I guess you're right. Because I didn't want to fight him. And if you, I I mean, not to skip forward, but if you look at down the road, he's forged shit. Yeah. Yep. Could have forged papers from another doctor because he knows how to fucking place everything. I'm not place everything. He knows how to word everything properly. Yep. 100%. Now, even though he was saying, oh, I have epilepsy, 
um, this is why I'm having these blackouts and I take these drugs in order to help. The truth soon surfaced when practice receptionist Marjorie Walker stumbled upon some disturbing entries in the druggist controlled narcotics ledger, which is like the scripts. Mm -hmm. Um, The record showed how Shipman had been prescribing large and very frequent amounts of pethidine uh, in the names of several other patients. So not even for himself, but he was saying this is for my patient when it was actually for him. Moreover... Which would make more sense of why he would forge a document to say, oh, I need these drugs. Yep. And pretend like it was another doctor. Yep. So moreover, he written... Addict. Oh, the, it's addict. addict behavior. I see it a mile away. Oh, uh, yeah. Bitch, I see that shit a mile away. Yep. Oh, yeah. Now, moreover, he'd written numerous prescriptions for the drug on behalf of the practice. Although this was not unusual, drugs are kept on hand for emergencies and immediate treatments, the prescribed amounts were excessive. Pethidine, which is a morphine-like analgesic? Um, Analgesic. Analgesic, that makes sense. Okay. Um, Ooh, I like I can do that. I feel so fucking smart right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm keeping that in. (laughs) Ah. uh, So it's analgesic. It's a morphine-like analgesic, which was initially thought to have no addictive properties. Now, some 60 years after scientists first synthesized it, pethidine's non-addictive reputation is still hotly debated, but is still a debate. Mm -hmm. Following the discovery of Shipman's overprescribing, a covert investigation by the practice, including John, I'm sorry, including Dr. John Dacre, followed. To his alarm, he discovered many patients on the prescription list had neither required nor received the drug. Dacre challenged Harold in a staff meeting as one of his partners, Dr. Michael Grieve, recalls, saying, quote, We were sat around with Harold sitting on one side and up comes John on the opposite and says, Now, young Harold, can you explain this? As he puts before him evidence that he had been gleaning, showing that young Harold had been prescribing pethidine to patients and they'd never received the pethidine. And in fact, the pethidine had found its way into Harold's very own veins. Hmm. Shipman's way of dealing with the problem was to provide an insight into his true personality. Mm. Realizing his career was on the line, he first begged for a second chance. When this was denied, he became enraged and stormed out, hurled a medical bag to the ground, and threatened to resign. The partners were dumbfounded by this violent and seemingly uncharacteristic behavior because, again, Harold's done a really good job of having this mask on this entire time to make it look like, I'm just here to do my job and my patients love me and I care about my patients. I don't give a fuck about you guys, but that's why I'm here for my patients. And now they're seeing this, this jackal side of this hide and it's... They're seeing the true violent side of him, and they were just absolutely beside themselves. But I don't understand why they were so beside themselves, because he fucking belittled everybody anyway. Yeah, but I think it was... patience. I think... It was the violence thing, I think. Oh, the violence yeah. part of it. Okay, so they were that like, more makes sense. Yeah, because, because it was like, oh, now, he just hulked out. Like, what yeah, the hell? Gotcha. Never yeah. saw that before. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So shortly afterwards, after he stormed out... His primrose, his primrose, (laughs) his primrose, 
Uh, Primmy! <laughs> Here comes Primmy. Uh, she went there. Shortly afterwards, his wife Primrose That's your cue is Mikey Mike Fright? Yep. Mikey Mike Fright. Primrose. (laughs) (laughs) Primmy! Every time he goes his wife, I'm like, Primmy! (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, ready? Yeah. Mikey Mike Fright. His wife, Primrose, stormed into the room where his peers were discussing the best way to dismiss him and rudely informed the people at the meeting that her husband would never resign, proclaiming, quote, you'll have to force him out. So Harold went and cried to his wife and went, go take care of my dirty work. And she went, gotcha, babe, and stormed her little rose ass down there. And Stand by your man. That's what she did. And Mm -hmm. she was right. Ultimately, he was forced out of the practice and into a drug rehab center in 1975. Two years later, his many convictions for drug offenses, prescription fraud, and forgery cost him a surprisingly low fine. Shipman's conviction for forgery is worth noting. First, because his skill in the area was nothing less than pathetic. Second, he failed to learn that his ineptitude in this area was readily exposed. He was fined, fired from his job, and required to attend a rehab clinic in York. Harold Shipman seemed to get back on his feet quickly, though, and returned to work at Donnybrook Medical Center in Hyde in 1977. He would spend the next 15 years of his career here before setting up a one-man practice in 1993 that would later be called The Surgery. He developed a reputation amongst his patients and in his community as a good and helpful physician. He was renowned for his bedside manner. Renowned. Is it renowned? Yes, ma'am. Renowned. Okay. He was renowned for his bedside manner. So now we are going to backtrack a bit and start to crack open the investigation side of things before ending our episode. Shipman was working as a trainee uh, general practitioner on children's ward when he was left alone with a four-year-old by the name of Sarah Garfit. Now, before I go any further, guys, I want to give a trigger warning because we're about to start talking about child death. And that is a very very harrowing subject to some. So if you are not interested in hearing about the death of a child, please skip forward about three, four minutes because we're about to get into it here. 
If not, buckle up, because here we go. Now, Sarah Garfit's mother was told her daughter might not live much longer. She had a disease. Uh, before leaving the ward for a cup of tea, she told Dr. Shipman to be, a, to be kind to her daughter, but did not give him permission to quicken her death. Emphasize on that, guys. Quicken her death. When she returned to the ward with her cup of tea, her daughter was dead. Susan was a patient at the Pont- Pontefract General Infirmary in West Yorkshire in 1970. I'm sorry, in October of 1972. Her mother said Shipman had seemed to suggest that medication would only prolong the girl's suffering. This is where the first investigator came into play by the name of Dame Janet, who said, quote, The fact that the death occurred so soon gives rise to the suspicion that Shipman somehow participated in that death. The inquiry examined the death of the four-year-old and that of a of another 12 other children and young babies who were at Pontefract while Shipman was undergoing junior doctor training there between 1971 and 1974. Which means that shortly after he got out of all of out of college or Whatever they call it over he the was, pond. He was still an intern he, when this happened. He has... Oh, yes. Yeah. That's right. He was an intern. So he was still technically so, in school when this happened. And all these children, like, right from the get-go, this son of a bitch... Mm-hmm. Went after children. Children. That's where he started. And then and it ended with the old. hmm Because I think what it was, and this is another one of my theories, is that he... If he did kill his mom, he saw what it was like to take the elderly side and how innocent that was and then started to relate to how innocent children can be and thought, I wonder if I could maybe do the same thing. It was that control sense again. Oh, definitely. He was playing God. Oh, he was. That's the God complex of the whole split personality disorder. Mm. One side has all Mm. the control. The other side Mm. has all the rage. Yep. So that's that's my whole thought on that. But investigator Dame Janet concluded that all the other children's deaths apart from Susan's were, quote, almost certainly natural. Almost certainly natural. Almost. Almost. And those were the final words on those other 12 children. And then it was dropped. Just like that. Not looked into close case. Yeah, it's it's okay. Yeah, all done. Yeah. So, however, she said there was, quote, quite serious suspicion that Susan and three adult patients at Pontefract had died at Shipman's hands. She had been asked to investigate 137 deaths at the hospital for which it was suspected Shipman might be responsible. We're already off to a giant fucking number, 137. We went from 12 kids to, okay, those are okay. Well, let's look at these other 137 fucking patients. What the fuck? Like, these people were literally throwing patients. Investigator Dame Janet said there was no reason why the inquiry should have examined the Pontifact, I'm sorry, Pontifract's deaths in detail earlier. She said, quote, it seemed not unreasonable to think that Shipman's criminal career began later than this. And I did feel quite comfortable with that conclusion. So she was also very much like, ah, well, you know, this happened, but... I don't have any real reason to suspect him, so we're good. Dame Janet said it was only after things were all said and done that 
a Pontefract hospital nurse approached the inquiry. The inquiry interviewed 63 hospital staff who had worked with Shipman during his training. Some former, former colleagues thought he was, in Dame Janet's words, quote, hardworking, dedicated, and competent, while others branded him as arrogant. And a few thought him strange, strange, sinister, and odd. Dame Janet said Shipman, in his years as a junior doctor, was very interested in drugs and was willing to test them, whatever the results. She said, quote, in those early years, I think Shipman killed by the reckless administration of drugs rather than with the calculated intention to kill that he displayed later. So, in other words, what she's saying is everything before he started his true killing spree was just an accident. He was testing things. It was reckless. It was dabbling. I am, you know, he's testing the waters. He wasn't doing it. He wasn't doing it on purpose. Yeah, wink, wink. Um, Yeah, wink, wink. So now, with that information, guys, we're going to speed back up to current time when Detective Chief Superintendent Bernard Postles was called in to look deeper into the case of Harold Shipman and possible and a possible will forgery only to discover that this man, who had now been in the medical practice for quite some time, may not just be foraging wills and writing prescriptions for patients that were actually for himself, but also killing his elderly patients by overdosing them on significant high levels of morphine and other painkillers, and going so far as to stage their bodies to cover his tracks. What the detective assumed was just an open and shut case on forgery turned into something much darker and morbid that would lead him to exhuming bodies from graves and following a very covered paper trail of the murderer known as Dr. Death. And this is where we're going to cap off for right now, guys. And we're going to pick up on part two, which will be dropped on, let's see, November 10th. The yeah. 10th? Yeah. yeah, November 10th. Yeah, which, which is Veterans Day, which is Veterans Weekend. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that's good. That's what we have so far for There's you guys. There's a lot more. We're about way. to get very, very detailed in this next episode, so just prepare yourself. We wanted to kind of leave you guys on a cliffhanger with as far as this detective um, digging up bodies in the middle of the night, because, like, what? Excuse me? Um, yeah. And kind of give you guys a taste of his recklessness when it came to prescriptions to the point of him being willing to dabble them on a four-year-old girl and kind of show you guys like this is what we're dealing with and how monstrous he becomes later on. And it's just appalling. It is just, it is absolutely disgusting. Now, it just, it just, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it just shows like. How it, so with him, there is over 200, 200 and what, over 250? Over 250 presumed deaths presumed by Dr. Death. Right now, mm-hmm. which means they're still investigating. So it just goes to show like this guy was all these years just laying it killing down. Killing people. Just laying it down. And Every time he got investigated, like, <clears throat> and eh, not only oh, that, okay. like you guys like, in our next episode, oh. we've talked about his superiority complex. You're going to see it a lot more and the pride and the pedestal that he held himself on of how, you know, people would come up to him and go, 
were suspicious and he'd go, you can look at my records whenever you want. I got nothing to hide. Like, Gary, yeah, you'll, you'll see like the arrogance come yeah, through. Just so nonchalant about it. But his arrogance will, you'll see. You'll see in the next one. It's, yeah, we'll it's leave gonna it be a good that. one. Yeah, but yeah. We if hope, you don't know, you're about to find you're out. Was <laughs> that what you were gonna say? <laughs> get out my damn head! No, we like it in here. <laughs> Scary. But um, another thing too, guys. Before we close out, with us saying this very staggering number of victims that this guy does have, I want to make it very clear: we are not gonna sit here and go through every single patient but what we will do is i have a list of all of the patients that are victims that were so far confirmed to have died at the hands of harold shipman and we will post that on social media for you guys so that you can just see the staggering amount of names as it rolls and how every single one of them was an elderly patient and you guys can kind of see what exactly kind of monster we were working with here but with that we hope you guys enjoyed part one of Harold Shipman. This Stick was fun for part two. Yeah. Um, it was amazing. Yeah. It was good. So we'll see you guys on November 10th for the conclusion. And until then, we hope you guys enjoy. And as always, we hope you creeps keep, keep it, it creepy. creepy. Bye. Bye.